to Cannabis Corner on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, broadcasting live from downtown New Haven and our homes. We are streaming live on TuneIn Radio and NewHavenIndependent.org. We're also streaming live video on Facebook. Just go to your Facebook.com slash New Haven Independent or, in look us, hit, or hit look us up first and you can see, hit see first and you can... Uh, Hear all the great programming we have here on WNHH. Good afternoon. It is Monday, October the 17th. Welcome to Cannabis Corner. I am your host, Joe Lachance, and I am joined here by Mr. Lou Vega. Uncle Lou, how are you today? Hey, how's it going, Joe? You know, just uh, Chilling at the office, handling a little bit of work. The dog is going crazy, rolling a little bit of weed. So you get all the background noises that we all love so much. Right. But it is part of life. And we really appreciate everybody joining in here on the Cannabis Corner and uh, kind of talking with us about weed. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do all week. Sit and talk with you, Joe, about weed. <laughs> I appreciate that you, this, you, you take that time out. It, it's always very good to be with you and talking to you as well, Lou. I'm feeling a little naked today. Uh, the blue, it's all right. I always have this wonderful backdrop. It's always something. We got yeah. some Adam's work. Yeah. We got green some screen photos. The green screen is dope, but sometimes technical difficulties happen, but that's okay, Joe. You have a yeah. beautiful complexion yourself, though, so you're good. <laughs> Don't you worry. You got a nice big old tan going on, so. Uh, okay, I'm trying, man. I'm trying to get out in the sun as much as I can. So before we get started, I want to remind people to like, share, subscribe to our YouTube. Uh, please share this video around so we can get the good word out about <laughs> cannabis. And um, I wanted to give a couple shout outs to a couple people. We love um, shout outs. Yeah, you know? I wanted to give a shout out to B. From bees, you know what? You, we eat. should 100% bees twisted eats. I ate there both days, they were open. All right, so bees twisted eats open finally up her storefront down in Milford, right by the train station on River Street. I looked at her menu, it looks great. Lou, you, te you tested her menu. How oh, was look, it? If How somebody was the food? says, Hey, I'm, I'm going out and I'm trying to get my dream and I'm gonna pursue my dream how could you not support them you know what i mean right. any individual that comes out and says i'm fighting for my dream and i'm actually doing it you know her and her team they went out they got a great partner they're they're putting everything together that they needed to they opened up a shop they so why wouldn't i go out and support i had um the fish and chips both yeah. days one day with fries one day is with traditional chips so they were both delicious I enjoyed it very, very, very much. The food was good, quick, easy. Right there in the Milford, right down by the train station, I got to see our good friend Jay Reason. I stopped at Static Era. 
Oh, cool, cool. Yep, I stopped at Star- Static Eric Records. Our good friend uh, Jay Reason over there, who's been around from the very beginning, so stopped by at his record store. Nice. I picked up actually uh, my dope find of the week because I go in, like I said, we're smoking a blunt, so you know you got to roll it. Uh, so I go in once a week and I peruse the I peruse the used section of his record store. Okay. Okay. And. I usually end up getting something of the stoner variety. Usually a Bob Marley thing. Very so this nice. Week I, there was a great used album in there. Uh, you know, um, Cat's Man Vibration. You know, old yeah. Whalers thing. So I picked that up. Uh, Positive Vibration, Root Rock Reggae, Johnny Was, Cry to Me, all those. You know what I mean? And that's Great, great album. Too. You know, and this is one of those old presses. These, this one was pressed... Oh man, in in California ages ago. So this is right after Bob got Bob, Bob got big. You know what I mean? And right. then I couldn't help it, but um, nice. I see what you got there. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't I couldn't help it, and, and uh, not get the big bamboo, Cheech and Chong, big bamboo. Now everybody always asks the same question. Is right, the Jeff? rolling paper in it? Yes. is the rolling paper in it yes it is brother we got that's a good find lou like this is um so this is one of those interesting things you know so i got that is a working rolling paper you know you know that is that is a real rolling paper and you know with all these guys going to all these shows nowadays i don't know I've seen those cones look almost as big as that, but the the reason, if you ever find the album without the rolling paper in it, you know why it's gone. Because somebody actually rolled a joint. They rolled that paper, bro. (laughs) Yes, they did. And I actually had that album when it first came out. uh, And I kept it, the rolling paper in it all the way till the day I sold my record collection. But that is a very good find. And I bought that album in the 70s, bro. So um, definitely, uh, definitely cool. So oh. as we keep on with our shout outs, big yep. shout out to uh, our sister in arms, Kibra. Yep. You she know, she's doing her out. thing. She just gave us a shout out on Facebook. So she's she just listening. gave us a shout out on Facebook as we're rolling through. But yeah, like I said, brother, I, I got these. Keeper's absolutely amazing. I'm going to be with her later on this week. We're really excited. We got an event in New York. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. <coughs> Trying to get through. Once again, smoking a blunt. So you got to cough and smoke it and do the whole nine. But yeah, that was my weekend highlight, in all honesty there, Joe, was getting to the record store, eating at B's, kind of going around that whole thing. So it was really nice. Um, yeah. The Milford area is nice. I love it. That's where I grew up. So uh, I'd always, I I wish I was there right now and I'm trying to get back and, uh, but I would love to go to bees and support. It's great. And don't worry, Joe, we can switch spots. Okay. Jason's here right now, you know? Yeah, no, Jason's out there enjoying life. And Oh, another big congratulations to our um, colleague and friend and other fellow Cano cannabis advocate warrior in the country so jessica gonzalez um oh yes got engaged so congratulations to her she is an an ip lawyer 
that handles oh, nice. cannabis and as well as handles cannabis clients on the business side. And she's a awesome, powerful Latina who's been named to almost every one of the who's who's list in, in business in general. So huge yeah. shout out to her and congratulations. Very, very cool. Speaking of Puerto Rico, um, our senator followed suit from Florida and proposed a bill to release all cannabis uh, mine, you know, minor offense cannabis prisoners. So that's really good news. Very excited to see that. Very excited. It's always nice when something like that happens, but hey, we shouldn't be under the US rule anyway. But um Yeah, I agree. But you know, in this case, it might it might actually benefit some of the because you know, down here they do bust you for simple possession if you're not a yeah. patient. Tons of tons patient, of simple possession. You know, yeah, yeah. if you can't pay the fine, they're gonna throw you in jail. That's what they do here. It's a little bit different. Um so yeah, and uh all right, so there and another thing um before Grant. Uh, joins us that I wanted to mention real quick was that um, the Uber will now be delivering cannabis in Toronto, Canada. They've teamed up with Leafly wow. to do cannabis delivery. Uber, Uber, I don't know what they call it. Uber Green, you know, Duber. I don't du know. <laughs> But uh, so that's, yeah, that's a very, very interesting development in the uh, cannabis, uh, in the cannabis world here for everybody. Now, maybe I don't know if that'll ever happen in Connecticut, but we'll see. But it's just very. It wouldn't happen in Connecticut the way that everybody needs to over control everything. They're not going to give it to a foreign entity like an Uber. And you're just taking quick pickups and drop offs and running back and forth. That's not going to happen here. There's too much. Everybody wants too much control. You're right. And they're giving out uh, licenses for delivery anyway. I think those people would probably. Want to <laughs> for those so, states that don't have delivery licenses, it might work. Right. And that's where it's going to somebody's going to open an app as their delivery service. And then they'll do that as well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's tons of different ways that people are going to end up doing it. And I look forward to watching the market mature. And, you know, right now there's, this is a maturing market and there's a lot of different things happening in this market that are starting to operate like a, um, industry. You know, I know we'll have, I know we'll have Grant on to talk a little bit, but. <laughs> All right. So while Lou's doing that, I wanted to mention a couple of events, uh, that are coming up this week, uh, down at the Grove in uh in milford again and you can go get something to eat at bees and then you can go to these events down at the grove that's right on, that's right down the road that's right on october 18th they got a paint sip and consume going on and that's by shady dankin a good friend shady dankin and then on the 21st they have a paint and toke and karaoke Ooh. So, yes. So for those of you who don't know, um, the Grove does have a consumption area. They are very consumption friendly. Uh, so they've been doing these events for a while. Uh, and so and they also have a great <laughs> shop next door, head shop where you can buy CBD, where you can get, you know, pipes and bongs and all kinds of stuff. Uh, so they've been, you know, doing the the uh, the events down there. Cannabis friendly. So go check them out if you're into painting. 
Um, and then I also wanted to give a shout out real quick. Uh, I believe Jason's event is on the 24th. And um, that is going to be down in Washington, DC. So I wanted to mention that and um, get into something real quick um, about what's going on in Connecticut. This is something I wanna discuss with Grant when he comes on the air, but I might as well bring it up now. But actually Grant's coming on right now, I believe. All right, so what I wanted to bring up basically was the social equity. Um, I saw Grant was coming in, I admitted him. I don't know where he went, but I wanted to go over the lottery um, issue that just came out. There was a big article in the Hartford Business Journal about how the lottery went down here in Connecticut um yep that was something that came out like after the last hbj uh harper business journal event um a woman went up and just drew out the numbers and now they reported that um those numbers it cost about a quarter million dollars worth of uh tickets to get okay. it yeah harry just sent me a message he said uh grant is trying to join i don't know if he's joining by phone or whatever but He's in the middle of joining, but yeah, I got the figures here and it's pretty startling about how many people actually bought multiple, multiple cannabis licenses. Um, so it turned out that a company called Janani bought 2,333 social equity retailer licenses. Another company called Chillax, 2,200 2095. Um, Divine One, 2043. Shangri-La, who's in Connecticut, 1171. And the list goes on and on. Social equity microcultivator, this Janini put in 2,333 there. Uh, Shangri-La, Connecticut, put in 1,171 for general retailer. And then Chillax put in 2,000. 295 for um, general microcultivator. So, I mean, we're talking about people, you know, that there were only 59 licenses granted. So um, we're talking about stacking the deck and really how unfair this, this whole process is. And Grant, you just joined us. Are you there? I see you're in the room. We're having a little technical difficulties, but uh, I think I'm, um, Lou, what do you I'm think with you, that? Joe, how you doing? Ah, there you are, Grant. How are you? I'm good. Zoom on the cell phone is always an adventure. Yes. <laughs> I try to, to have... avoid, I try to avoid using it on the phone when I can, but, um, um, we were just talking about the lotteries here in Connecticut. Uh, have you read the uh, story about how many different lottery uh, 
Lottery entries were purchased by certain companies to try and I stack have, the deck. I have, and I can tell you some inside information that a team of attorneys at Vincente Cedarberg spent three weeks every day, weekends and weekdays submitting applications, and they got four of them. Yeah, this is the problem, right? Seven of the companies all submitted more than a thousand applications. So they ended up getting four. Which company was that? Was that uh, Janini? I do not know exactly which clients are, uh, which companies are Vincente Cedarberg clients, but I know that that's the fundamental problem with the lottery, which is giant firms being able to submit thousands of applications therein manipulating the process. Yes, exactly, exactly right. And um, we knew this was going to happen when they changed the regulations from one ticket and then they moved it up to two. And then now, and then the governor made it unlimited. And, you know, besides it being a money grab, they knew it was going to stack the deck for people who had money, who had the, you know, the resources to buy multiple amounts of tickets. And that's exactly what happened. So that there, there's no question about it. And I think it raises a lot of questions as to why that number of applicant or tickets went up to unlimited. And if the people who did that knew this would be the implication of that. I believe they did. And from what I understand, I talked to a legislator. It was the governor. It all starts with the governor. If the governor decides it, it was not done through the legislator. It was the governor and he just changed the regulations. So, and yeah, I, I would have to think they know what the implication would be. Um, I do see that one influential lawmaker, she said that the state legislator will consider to make changes uh, and, you know, so that one entity could submit based whether or not they're supported by an MSO. But this just, to me, exasper exasperates the problem that we already have here in Connecticut which is the dominance of large corporations and MSOs, not only in the medical market, but now we see it bleeding over into the recreational market. And I really believe the people here are really sick of it. They're really starting to stand up against MSOs and, you know, making, uh, making a big thing of, of not supporting them in any way, shape or form. So I think this really just makes the problem that we already have a little bit worse. There's no question. And it's every single state in the country. These MSOs look at their un, um, ungodly amounts of financial resources as a way to rig the system. They go from state to state like a marauding band of pirates undermining regulatory systems to centralize control. And then activists are left, the grassroots activists with no money are left to pick up the pieces and beg the press for attention to fix the system. And it's happening over and over and over again. I believe that happened up in Massachusetts as well. Um, and, and I mean, states that I can see are really bad are Michigan, Illinois, you know, I think the good thing about Colorado and Washington, they were in early enough before the MSOs were able to get their hooks in because they weren't actually even allowed to operate in the states yet. 
Um, they, uh, I think they have a little bit more of a small business um, presence out there. So you can run into a mom and pop dispensary or you can have a micro cultivator that actually is putting out some good product. Now, I believe MSOs have started to creep in, but I think the markets out there are still pretty, you still have a chance of getting some good quality cannabis. So let's put it that way. And maybe up here in Massachusetts too, there's a, a chance and maybe there's a chance in Connecticut. Uh, but the problem is first mover advantage is huge in these markets. And once giant companies get their hooks in, it's very hard to untangle that mess. We're trying to do it right now up here in Massachusetts. I'm glad there are some lawmakers in Connecticut who are thinking about it, but half the battle in some sense is undoing the mess that's caused when just a simple change like unlimited lottery tickets is allowed to move forward. Well, that's what that's what really gets to me. It's like that was not written in the in the in the original bill. That was not part of the original regulations. Where do they come off just changing it by basically an executive order um, without consulting anyone? Even the some of the legislators didn't know. I'm sure the well, ones up. Well, top that's did. where it wasn't changed. It just was never in there. You know what I mean? If you don't put a limit in there, then there is no limit. Right. That's where, so instead of saying somebody changed it, that's what I believe. I think it just wasn't written well. And that was the governor's writing of it because that was the governor's bill. It was an intention from the very beginning. Any Anybody who goes through any of this, is, if something's not in there, it's not in there for a reason. You know, yeah. no, yeah. They, they don't, lawmakers don't leave things out accidentally. They don't overcomplicate things accidentally. They don't put in extra clauses accidentally. They don't leave out certain provisions accidentally. Right. They'd leave their job if they did that. They leave them out because it's not to the best advantage of what they're doing. Right. Certain words mean certain things. It's so, so, so frustrating when it's made like that. You know, our social equity program wasn't based on if you were actually affected on the war on drugs. It was literally based on an income number that can change every year because they reevaluate the, the DIA areas every two or three years. They're going to do it. They don't have an actual time frame, but they reevaluated it this year. So now there's another town that wasn't on it last year when we applied. So if they reevaluate it every time they're going to run out of lottery, it opens places, closes places, moves people around, qualifies people, don't qualify people. But the actual individuals that have been harmed by the war on drugs really still stay. Yeah, I, I agree. In all honesty, and it's a it's a huge issue because you know, I didn't put any lottery tickets in. I still didn't get a license. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you actually did the other way and, and that didn't even work. So but again, they they went to certain people as well. Yeah, it's a shame that 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 happened grant now up in massachusetts um there are some small dispensaries they did make the licenses a little bit more reasonable for a dispensary license than they did in connecticut i mean the way they did it in connecticut is that in order to open a dispensary you almost got to be a big operator there's no two tiers there's no tiers but just the one up there in Massachusetts, I know there are a few 
really good, you know, owned by activists, owned by people from the community dispensaries. Um, what's different up there? Two things. One, there's no overall license cap in Massachusetts. We have a single entity ownership and control cap, which is to say a single entity can only control three dispensary, three cultivation, three product manufacturing licenses, but there's no cap on the total number of licenses. And the second thing is, although it hasn't been the case up till now, there's, there are some locally owned dispensaries up here, but going forward, the biggest issue was lack of access to capital it costs one to two million dollars, as you know, Joe and Lou, to get a, a cultivation facility or a retail license open, sometimes more. Right. And having to go to private vulture capital means terms that are abusive and subvert the intent of the law, which is to give these businesses to local equity owned companies. Right. So in Massachusetts, we just set up a dedicated levy of 15% every year on our adult use cannabis tax that's gonna to go towards 0% interest loans and grants for equity companies to get into the market. And I think that's a game changer. Wow, that's, that's a real good uh, clause to have in there. Now, we had something like that in Connecticut, but I don't know if it ever came to fruition. Oh, yes, it did. And the fund got misused and given to an out-of-state company. I totally forgot. That's right. There was a fund, but they, they, uh, they stopped doing it because they got caught out giving money to people that didn't deserve the money that weren't social equity people. So now, I'm not from Connecticut, Joe, but if I recall correctly, that company from out-of-state that got that money had some connections to someone in state government. I believe so. Yep. Yep. So you see... You see how it works, um, you know, and us as people who want to see this system do right, activists and advocates, it makes our job even harder because like you said, you know, you go in there in partially good faith and then they end up screwing it up and doing things, you know, that are just totally against the whole, you know, the whole bill and and then it's all about fixing the damage. And sometimes that's even harder than getting it through in the first place, especially if, if it's starting to benefit the state financially. It's the fundamental problem with the way cannabis laws are being set up right now on a state-by-state -state basis. Uh, the state has a monetary incentive to get it done quickly, and so do MSOs. But the problem is when you get it done quickly, the people the law is supposed to benefit, the people that suffered disproportionately under the drug war and are still in jail for doing things the government is now legally selling, they are the ones who don't get into the market. And then you have these big CEOs of MSOs going around saying, well, if only we could do X, Y, and Z to make equity uh, better in the market or access easier. When in reality, it's those CEOs pulling up the ladder behind the scenes to benefit themselves, centralize control, and therefore sell inferior quality product for exorbitant prices. Same playbook, every state. Yeah, we were talking about Florida last week and, and how their plan for the adult use market is just to turn it over to the existing medical market. 
Now, if you know anything about the existing medical market, it's controlled by basically three MSOs. The entire, I mean, the entire market is pretty much controlled by three MSOs, Cureleaf, um, Trueleaf, and I think Verano's the other one. So, so it's, and they, and they do the same thing up there. Um, so, you know, these, some of these governments don't care, you know, it's all about the money and it's all about getting it done quickly. Can we, Joe, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about the death of Lorna McMurray? The I did want to bring employee. that up. I, you know what? I, I'm glad you, I had that written down here. I did want to bring that up because you're very on top of that. Tell us all about that. Well, I got to give credit to all the reporters on the ground in Massachusetts putting the work in on this story. Uh, Mike Crawford with the Young Jerks, Dan Adams with the Boston Globe, Shira Schokenberg with Mass Live. The entire Massachusetts uh, reporting, uh, cannabis reporting establishment right now is covering the fact that back in January of 2022, an employee at True Leaves Massachusetts uh, facility, which is in Holyoke, died while working on the job after suffering an allergic reaction uh, while grinding keef in one of the cultivation facilities rooms. This employee back in November of 2021 had also had something similar happen to them uh, where an ambulance had to be called. And they were under investigation, truly was in Massachusetts for three months. And then in January, while they were under investigation, Lorna McMurray, an employee, the same one that had an incident in, no in November, died from an allergic reaction while working there. And it wasn't made uh, public until September, eight months after she passed away. My Wi-Fi went up. Sorry about that. So, yeah, I just think, um, you know, that I missed what you said, Grant, basically. No, so it's a big thing. Grant, you're, you're, it's a huge point, and it's been something that, that's a, that's a huge new sector for OSHA, in all honesty. This is something that there should have been proper <laughs> ventilation. There should have been allergy checks there could have been so many things to help prevent this tragedy from happening and it's crazy and it's just another thing that's that's but that's, but that's even more disturbing the osha report found that truly was not responsible for basically putting the employee at risk all they found truly responsible for was for not having enough education material and not documenting hazardous storage of, of material at the uh, site. So as of now, there's no opening. There's no open criminal investigation that was confirmed last night. There's no open OSHA investigation, and it looks like the regulators on the federal government level and the state level are treating this as an accident. When I have read reports from the family that the employee who passed away, Lorna McMurray, had to beg her family to give her PPE, personal protective equipment, because she wasn't given enough respirators at her job. Yet there's no investigation, no criminal charges. It's really concerning. Yeah, that, that is concerning um, because every cultivation facility I ever went in, most, 
you know, most people have, are wearing PPEs. I don't know if they're wearing good ones, but, you know, I think not only does it have to be looked at in Massachusetts, you got to look at the entire company for, are they doing it in other states? And if it took nine months for anyone to find out about this, how many other employees have died that we don't know about across the United States in the cannabis industry because of what uh, Lou was uh, talking about here with the fact that this new jurisdiction, this overlap between OSHA and state level departments of health and cannabis regulatory agencies, how much is falling through the cracks? How many people are dying? We have no idea. And that is even more terrifying. Yeah, yeah, no, I agreed. And maybe they reported it. And what about even not even dying, but getting damage, you know, lung damage and, uh, you know, stuff that permanent damage to their to their bodies that could show up years from now. Um, so it's besides the death. So, you know, what can be done about it? I mean, I think you just have to get in there and make sure that it just doesn't get buried under the rug and push the right buttons. Well, let me tell you something I heard yesterday from an employee who used to work at the Green Solution uh, in Colorado, in Denver. That employee two years ago or so reported that there was a batch of product that that facility contaminated with mold. They reported it directly to the cannabis regulators, which work for the Department of Revenue in Colorado. The very next day, management of the company called all staff into a meeting and threatened them that they were to never report anything to the regulators ever again. Wow. Wow. See, that just, that just goes to show what happens when you put it in the hands of corporations. They don't care about human life. They only care about the bottom line. And people need to get that into their heads. You know, it's, uh, it's the realities and it's, you know, look, it's, it's what happens when anything goes corporate, right? It's, it's all industries. Uh, they just, they cut corners wherever they can and they put the lives of their employees in jeopardy. Look at Amazon and the way they treat their employees. And it's just, you know, to me, it's trying to turn humans into machines and it's, it's just, uh, it takes, it takes, uh, I don't know. It, it takes the good out of the cannabis. That's the best word I can use. What breaks my heart about it is that we learned these lessons as a country a hundred years ago when Upton Sinclair wrote the jungle and when Edith Tarbell wrote the history of standard oil and when the muckrakers and the progressive era happened, it was because of just this in the railroad industry, the oil industry, the beef industry. Companies were putting people's lives at risk. They were employing children for five cents on the dollar per hour in factories. And we had to go through a national revolution, basically, to get oversight, to create the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Department of Commerce. We're having to learn the lessons again in the cannabis industry, and we shouldn't have to. Government already learned these lessons, and they failed us by letting these big MSOs take over and put these people's lives at risk. It didn't have to be this way. No, 
No, and it's happened in every single industry, the alcohol industry, the food industry, the tobacco industry. And it's, it's, they don't learn the lesson, Grant, because it's their playbook. Because once there becomes a big MSO or a big corporate entity, they become partners with the government, right? I mean, just look at Pfizer, look at anything like that. Then they become their, their lobby money starts going into the pockets. Legislation starts getting written in their favor. And now it's going to happen the same thing with cannabis. You know, you already have the big tobacco lobby. You already have the big alcohol lobby. You already have the drug industry lobby that's in there influencing laws. And now you're going to have the big cannabis lobby. And we've already seen it start on a small scale in Connecticut. And as soon as they get more states legal, uh, you know, and if they do reschedule or even deschedule it as Biden, you know, wants them to do or said he wants them to do, it's just going to get worse and worse and bigger and bigger. And I was, I don't know, you're right. It breaks my heart. I was hoping it would be different. I was hoping the cannabis industry would be different. And that's why I can't give up, you know, I can't give up the fight no matter what. Oh, I don't want to give people at all the impression that it's hopeless. It's heartbreaking, but it's not hopeless. And I, I should plug my work that I do uh, with the Parabola Center. I'm a legal intern for a federal policy think tank run by Shaleen Title, Chanel Lindsay, and Lori Lucien up in Massachusetts. And they are building cannabis policy for people, not corporations on the federal level. And that's what it's going to take. Uh, every single policy victory, while it may seem small, is a building block towards writing these systemic injustices. And even if we start writing the injustices after the state laws are written and after some of these companies have engaged in regulatory capture and, and bribery and corruption, it's not too late. It's never too late. As long as there is enough good people providing authentic views that are not bought and paid for, there's always a chance that we can salvage this uh, oversight of the cannabis industry. And I think we can, in some sense, turn the course of the United States as a whole by using the cannabis industry as a microcosm for how our regulatory agencies have failed us in every market sector. Right, right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that would be a great thing. That's really good news to hear, Grant. Um, those are really great people you're involved with. And it's nice to see that there's actually a think tank for cannabis, uh, you know, right here in New England. And, uh, you know, I know both of those young ladies and it's great. It's absolutely great. Good work uh, that you guys are doing. I also heard something that you um, you are back with Mascan doing the Freedom Rally. Is that true? Well, I am certainly running. Uh, I am a member and actually we have some elections. MassCan is the Massachusetts Cannabis Reform Coalition. Uh, it's a great grassroots nonprofit up here in Massachusetts that hosts the annual Boston Freedom Rally 33 years in the running now uh, in a row now. 
Um, I am running for president of that organization in our interim elections, which are tomorrow, Wednesday night at six o'clock via Zoom. And I'm running, uh, I was the president uh, last year. I'm running again uh, because I think the soul of grassroots activism and advocacy in Massachusetts is on the line in some sense. And I'm hoping to get more involved with the organization again, uh, place us in a position where we can be on the ground doing activism and advocacy throughout the year and then celebrate it with an awesome Boston Freedom Rally, which I know you both have attended in the past oh, in yes. September on Boston Common. It's and a great event. Yeah, one of the best, one of the best out there, you know. Um, anybody who has never gone to a Freedom Rally, you must experience that. I was in awe the first time I went. So uh, to see something like that in New England. Yeah, because there is still a lot of work to do, Grant, you know. Um, I know in Massachusetts, you guys have made a lot of progress changing laws um, and getting some of the regulations, you know, changed because in 2016, there were no real social equity clauses in the laws. Uh, and you guys have done a real great job of putting, you know, putting their feet to the fire. You've, been, you've had legalization up there for six years. So just to give the people in Connecticut hope, you guys have made some progress up there changing the regulations, right? Oh, it, yeah, Massachusetts is in some ways uh, struggling, but in some ways an inspiration because like you said, when the initial law was passed by the voters in 2016, it actually got updated by the legislature a few mm -hmm. months later and it, it kind of got messed with. So what did we do as grassroots advocates and activists? Well, we went to the regulators over the first few years and said, you're going to implement this law with your regulations in a way that's authentic and not corrupt. And then after we did that, we went back to lawmakers and said, hey, we took your law, we implemented it, but you know what? We need a few things changed in the law to make our implementation better. And they listened to us. They fixed the oversight of local permits that was facilitating corruption. In fact, the mayor of Fall River is in federal prison right now for taking that. bribes. Uh, they also created that 0% interest social equity loan fund that I just talked about. And they went one step further and helped us get a pathway to social consumption in the law that was not in the original 2016 ballot initiative uh, the right way. So it required four years of advocacy. It required on the ground discussions with lawmakers and it required a lot of protest. But at the end of the day, we wrote a law that we felt was authentic and we're willing to defend it as well. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, right. No, you guys have done great work up there. I've always said the Massachusetts uh, activists have always been an inspiration uh, to me because uh, you're, just, you're just a unit, you know, you just, everybody's, everybody's out for the good of the industry. Um, you know, we've had some issues down here in Connecticut with the activism community kind of splintering off and, um, the, you know, people trying to do their own thing. And, you know, it got a little messy here. And, you know, it, it, that, that's not good because the, the session is coming up and it's time if, if the people don't get together and join together and under a common cause, the common cause being to change these regulations, because really what's done is done. 
Um, so we're not going to get them done. So I have a question. What what states are coming up for? Do you know offhand what states are coming up with some type of ballot initiative to either legalize or, or open medical into those states? Because there's still a bunch of states that are not legal in any form. Oh, well, we got Arkansas coming up, although that, um, so here's the issue. Lou uh, brought this up earlier. As we go around the country, what we're finding is that these big medical companies are writing the ballot initiatives and calling them citizen ballot initiatives. So in Florida, you got no home grow plus first mover advantage for existing medical companies who have a, a do an oligopoly. In Arkansas, same thing, no home grow oligopoly for existing medical operators. And the problem is prohibitionists, the, which mostly are Republicans, love that. They love the idea of a limited market. They love the idea of new home grow. And who's willing to go right along with them? the MSOs who want that limited market and who want people right. in jail for growing their own cannabis. And that's a big problem, especially in the Bible Belt. Yeah. And, and those, I believe, are both uh, red states. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's going to be a trend because you're right. They get it done quickly and it's controlled by entities that they're very familiar with and that they know they can deal with and do business with. That's what it comes down to. They'd much rather only deal with three or four companies uh, who are corporate minded like they are, who have deep pockets, who can feed them money than to even listen to what the activists have to say, which is, is really a shame. And it goes back to this broken American system. Um, policy decisions shouldn't be based on money. People shouldn't be looked at as naive for wanting to get involved in the political arena based on the merit of their ideas and not the size of their checkbook. Uh, right. But here we are. Uh, that, that's the state of the playing field. And the question is, are we willing to fix it? Yeah, and willing to put in the work to fix it. Because it is a lot of work to get this stuff done. Sometimes you have to go out in the snow, you know, to get, get to a meeting at, at the city hall. Sometimes you have to do different things that, you know, you might not be comfortable doing, but if you're in, in it for the long haul, then these are just the things you got to do, or, or you're, you're going to be unhappy and you're going to be stuck with a cannabis industry that, you know, you help to get put in that you're not happy, you know, that is just not serving the people. And on a productive note, there are things people can do. If you're a grassroots advocate or activist and you're sitting and listening to this and thinking, well, I don't have any money. I don't have any political connections. What should I do? Well, you have something that money and political connections can't buy. And that's your authenticity. And the right. easiest way to come across as authentic to a well-meaning regulator or lawmaker is, or a member of the press is to be authentic. Put your voice out there, develop connections in the media or with one or two well-meaning lawmakers and parlay that into a real narrative. That narrative can be more powerful than tens of millions of dollars in advertising money. Right, right. And we have social media. We have avenues that are free to promote this stuff, you know? And even the media wants stories about cannabis. There's podcasts that are out there that people can go on. 
there's radio shows that people can go on and get their voices heard now because cannabis is a little bit more accepted. So these are kind of the avenues that we have to use to get to the people. You know, I know that, um, you know, the, one of the biggest issues with the advocacy, uh, you know, the activism community is we don't have money. And even the big organizations don't have money. You know, Normal was never throwing out money to help their local chapters. Um, MPP looks like to me has gone corporate. I mean, they're, they're sponsored by a bunch of different corporate entities. So are they really on our side anymore? You know, these are organizations that we depended on to help us get legalization in. That's a big question. Um, I think that organizations, especially activism organizations, end up being defined by people involved with them. So if you look at Normal, um, which really interestingly came out of um, the first, one of the first ever arrests for marijuana uh, in California, uh, there was an attorney by the name of Mr. White, I think it was in 64, uh, who uh, represented a client that walked into a police station smoking two joints and got arrested. That's where Normal started. Wow. Uh, MPP a little bit different, but the point is these organizations are oftentimes defined by the people in them setting the narrative. And over time, it's only natural for these larger corporate forces to look for ways to find their ways in and, and usurp it. That's part of the job of the grassroots community to protect the integrity of these institutions, whether it's normal or MPP or your local normal chapter or a mass can or whatever. Your active involvement, even though it may be in the face of a lot of corruption, can really change the tide true 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 very true um you know we had an issue with normal and and the fact that they were starting to support msos uh, here in connecticut and we kind of just never really got support from them i don't know if that was your experience in mass too but it just seemed well, to like they didn't care <laughs> to normal's credit uh before I was involved with MassCan, uh, there were some issues with the leadership of MassCan being infiltrated by white supremacists. Wow. And it was, norm it was normal who came in and said, absolutely not, we're cutting your affiliation, this is over the line, reform yourselves internally and then come talk to us again. So in some sense, I, I, I think normal came in at just the right moment in Massachusetts to check and balance what was happening. Uh, at the same token, once that split happened and then we didn't go back to them as mass can, they haven't been as involved. But that's understandable because there's no chapter right now in Massachusetts. So, right. You guys have stated, uh, decided rather than to go back to normal, you'll just stay independent because you were doing a good job being independent. You're doing just fine. I, I'm not opposed. I'm not shutting off the uh, potential of ever talking to normal again. But I believe, yes, uh, last year, that was the, the board's consensus. Uh, perhaps we'll talk to normal again in the future. One of the normal board members used to be involved with MassCan. I think normal was actually just down in Washington, D.C. for their board meeting, uh, celebrating Joe Biden's recent decision. So they're a relevant organization. They're always going to be relevant. Uh, another organization I'll plug is Bullpack. Uh, which is run by uh, someone who used to be involved with normal. So even these organizations that they themselves may become a little bit institutionally complacent, they birth new leaders who form their own institutions. And if you keep up with them, 
you'll see there's a lot of progress being made. Yeah, true, because those are like the establishment organizations. But we also see if we get the right people at the helm, one of these smaller grassroots organizations could actually become a much bigger entity and a much bigger force if the right people are at the helm. You're absolutely right about that. You're absolutely and right. There, there is a risk of the inverse as well, uh, which is these grassroots organizations can get taken over as well. There's always right. people who look at them as an opportunity to, to profit for their company or build industry connections or bring back police enforcement towards the unregulated market, whatever it may be. But a vigilant, informed and engaged grassroots community can move mountains. And I wholeheartedly believe that. I agree. I agree. That's how all change gets made. If you look back at any way that some of the great laws got changed, they all started with a small movement that grew, you know, uh, and it, you're right. Never give up. Never give up. Hey, I just got the uh, two minute warning from uh, Harry. So I wanted you to give out all your contact information and anything you're working on, anything that you want to plug. Let You got the time now, Grant. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Lou. First of all, I had a great time as always with uh, with both of you folks. Uh, you can find more from me at grantsmithellis.com. You can find me on any social media platform at grantsmithellis, or you can follow the Parabola Center, where, as I mentioned, I'm a legal intern. Uh, what I'll leave folks with is I want to echo everything Joe just said, and I will leave us with a quote from uh, a wonderful author, which is that Never doubt for even one second the ability of a small group of well-intentioned and committed individuals to change the world because, in fact, it is the only thing that has ever done so. So I appreciate the time. I hope folks will stay engaged, and I wish you all a very happy Monday. Grant, thank you. The feeling is mutual. You're one of, the, you're one of my inspirations in the uh, advocacy, activist community and the cannabis community. And I want to thank you for coming on on such short notice. That's really, really appreciated. So my honor again. to be with you both. Thank great. you. We really appreciate you, brother. Great, great we really show. do. And, uh, you know, as we close up, we want to make sure to tell everybody we thank you so much for joining us again. Um, a big shout out to Grant for coming in and really, really appreciate you again. Joe, thank you so much for uh, always fighting the good fight. And uh, everybody stay happy, healthy and high. All right. Yeah. Just like, share, subscribe, follow us on social media, um, you know, and we will see you next week. Blue Dream Radio is coming on October 31st. Sorry for the cancellation. Clean my room until I got high. <laughs> I was gonna get up and find the broom, but then I got high. Uh, my room is still messed up, and I know why. Why, man? Yeah, cause I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. I was gonna go to class before I got high. Come on, y'all. Check it out. I could have cheated and I could have passed, but I got high. I'm taking it next semester and I know why. Why, man? Yeah, cause I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. I was gonna go to court before I got high. 
I was gonna pay my child support, but then I got high. No, you wasn't. Uh, they took my whole paycheck, and I know why. Why, man? Hey, cause I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. I wasn't gonna run from the cops, but I was high. I'm serious, man. I was gonna pull right over and stop, but I was high. Because I got high.